I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 4 as we continue in our study of 1 Kings. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw that Solomon prayed to God for wisdom, and God granted that wisdom so that Solomon could rule over God's people with justice and equity. Solomon had been given a great wisdom for God, for the benefit of God's people, and so Solomon's wisdom is well worth contemplating. And this morning we want to look at a fuller understanding of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon's wisdom is what is emphasized in the text, and his wisdom is that which bookends the passage in our consideration. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28, it reads, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And we saw that with the two women that came, each claiming that the child was theirs. And then in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, it reads, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So this morning as we think about Solomon's wisdom, we begin by looking at the utilization of Solomon's wisdom in his kingship. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, it reads, King Solomon was king over all Israel. And Solomon, in his wisdom, provided organization and structure for his rule. Tells us in verse 2, And these were his high officials, Azariah the son of Zadok was the priest. And it goes on then to list the various names and roles that individuals fulfilled. We're not going to consider that list this morning, only to say that there was significant organizational structure to Solomon's rule. And Solomon, in his wisdom, also provided respite for those who served under him, for it tells us in verse 7 that Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and household. And now these words, each man had to make provision for one month in the year. So they were responsible only for one month, and there were individuals responsible for the ensuing months. In chapter 5, we have an account of the beginning of the building projects, And in chapter 5, verse 12, it reads, And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon. Now these words, 10,000 a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. So once again, we see this respite or the alternation of responsibilities that that takes place. So the application is, is the wise leader who understands that there needs to be limits to what a person is able to do. You can't work a person to death. And Solomon recognized and used his wisdom to create this organization. And furthermore, there were steps taken so that they would not exhaust those limits. Now we move to the benefits that Solomon's wisdom had for his people. For in order to recognize the benefit, we must first understand the challenge, which is given to us in verse 20. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. There was 
a large group of people to oversee, as you think of Judah and Israel. Nevertheless, despite how large and diverse the people were, Solomon managed to make them all happy in verse 20. It says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. I submit to you that making people happy is no small task as a leader. Uh, it doesn't often happen. There was a 15th century monk and poet, John Lydgate, who made a statement that many of you are extremely familiar with, and that is, you can please some of the people all the time, you can please all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all of the time. Well, it appears that Solomon came pretty close, uh, and uh, that's quite remarkable. And I want to contrast that to the New Testament and the way in which the church had to address the challenge of growth that they were experiencing. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and keep your finger here in 1 Kings, because we're coming right back. In Acts chapter 6, we have this account of what is taking place in the early church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number... So again, we, we see this aspect of increase. We see this aspect of growth. Growth always presents challenges, for growth necessitates changes. And growth requires additional involvement and sensitivity to the issues that arise. So how to deal with the challenges that are associated with growth requires great wisdom. And the challenge of the New Testament church originally was not being well met. For unlike in the days of Solomon, the people were not happy. Tells us in verse 1 that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. The Hellenists would be the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews would be the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there was contention that existed among them, in particular in relationship to the dispersing of the daily food. It tells us that the reason, unlike Solomon, who had met the needs of the people, the people's needs in the New Testament church were not being met, for it tells us in verse 1, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there was this support of the widows that was taking place on a regular daily basis, uh, probably some kind of food distribution program, but there was an, an issue that existed between these Greek-speaking Hebrews and the uh, Hebrew-speaking Greeks, and perhaps that was due to difficulty in communication, perhaps that was due to uh, religious practices, perhaps issues concerning uh, what was kosher, what was not. There are all kinds of issues that could have been presented of which we are not told in detail, but what we are told is how they address the situation. The apostles had to establish priorities in verse 2. They said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to go to serve tables. Like Solomon, who set as the ultimate priority to faithfully judge the people and to rule by delegating. The solution was not for the apostles to take on additional responsibilities 
but rather understood the need to delegate and involve others, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They avoided a common error in leadership, and that was not to take upon them too much, and to avoid the tyranny of the urgent, to see a need and feel as though they must fulfill it. The apostles avoided that error, and they uh, resulted in people being happy, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, pleased the whole gathering. Furthermore, they were able to prosper and to continue to grow, verses 6 and 7. These they set before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see the prosperity, the prosperity of the gospel itself, and also the growth of the church. In a similar manner, because of the organizational skill and structure of Solomon, the kingdom increased. Or if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21, it reads, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. The kingdom prospered in verse 21. It says they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. The kingdom existed in harmony, verse 24. And he had peace on all sides around him. And as a result, there was tranquility and security throughout the land. And verse 25, and Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, from one end of the kingdom to the other, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. So the application is that it's the wise leader that understands how important organizational structure is to unity. Unity doesn't just happen. It has to be worked at and it has to be carefully maintained. Thirdly, the degree of Solomon's wisdom. Just how wise was he? Well, there was no good way to quanti quantify Solomon's wisdom. Tells us in verse 29 that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. There were no IQ tests. There were no aptitude tests to quantify Solomon's wisdom. And so instead it gives us an understanding of his wisdom by comparison. For Solomon's wisdom was great in comparison or exceeded the wisdom of others. Solomon's wisdom exceeded the cultures that were known for wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30, says that Solomon's wisdom was surpassed, uh, surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. These were cultures that were at the time more advanced than what Israel's culture was. They were renowned for their exploits. And if you will, uh, Israel was kind of a bumpkin nation at this time. And yet Solomon rose to a place of wisdom that surpassed that of 
the more cultured nations around about them. But Solomon's wisdom surpassed all those who were renowned for their wisdom in verse 31, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Haman, Elkol, Darda, the sons of Mahol. These are individuals of, there are individuals of every age who are renowned for their intellect, wisdom, and cunning. They are standouts. They are standouts. There is an old saying that some people are a big fish in a little pond, meaning that we become very important, but it's a very small circle. And it's pretty easy to stand out in a very small circle. You think, for example, a baseball team from a very small high school that uh, has only a few students. And to be star on that baseball team is not like being on a professional baseball team. That person locally may be looked up to and uh, held in high regard, but in actuality, in comparison to a major leaguer, uh, they are totally out of their field. But then there are those people who are world class. There are the gold medalists, if you will, the people who are world champions. And the scripture tells us of Solomon in verse 31, that he was wiser than all other men. All other men. He was truly world renowned. Uh, he was on a par by himself. He was wiser than all. So now let's look at the extent of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon's wisdom was vast. It tells us in verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So how vast was Solomon's wisdom? Well, his knowledge extended to the language arts and humanities. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Solomon was also knowledgeable in the sciences, verse 33. He spoke of trees, from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. So Solomon's wisdom was not limited to organizational skills. He was more than just simply a good administrator. And Solomon's wisdom was not limited to speaking with spiritual or moral authority in passing judgment. As we saw earlier, he demonstrated great wisdom in making judicial decisions as he dealt with those two women, both claiming to have the child as their own. He was able to dispense with that situation in a very helpful way. But we find out that Solomon's wisdom extended to all facets of life. And that leads me to perhaps an unexpected, and yet I think a very real and appropriate application. That is, it has to do with our view of the scriptures themselves. The Bible is a book of wisdom, 
Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And I think that looking at the wisdom of Solomon helps us to gain a healthy and proper perspective on the scriptures themselves. Or remember that Solomon's wisdom came from God. And the scriptures come from God also. We all know the verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Which leads us to a question with which all believers must wrestle. And that is, is the Bible objectively true or authoritative in all areas of which it speaks? Or is the Bible simply authoritative in the issues of salvation? And it's becoming more and more common for conservative biblical scholars to speak of the Scripture's authority solely with regards to matters of salvation. Uh, I'd like to refer to the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. The uh, Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy is a written statement of belief formulated by more than 200 evangelical leaders at a conference convened by the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy and held in Chicago, October 1978. And the statement was designed to defend the position of biblical inerrancy against a trend towards more liberal conceptions of scripture. And the Chicago statement maintains in a short statement summary these thoughts. That since the Bible is inspired by God, who is the truth and speaks truth only, it is God's own word and is of infallible divine authority in matters upon which it touches, Therefore, being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teachings, no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, than its witness to God's saving grace in individual areas. When we think about God's wisdom, when we look to God for wisdom, we need to recognize the importance of his wisdom in all facets of life. Certainly, God is not less than Solomon, and Solomon's wisdom extended to all areas of life, for there was nothing irrelevant in that knowledge which I think is very important for us as evangelicals to always remember that we need to have a wide breadth of understanding and appreciation for the sciences, for the humanities, for literature, and that our belief needs to be reflected in all those areas of discipline. And we need good Christians involved in all areas of life in order to bring to bear God's wisdom in our society and our culture. 
the value of Solomon's wisdom was that it was sought out. Solomon's wisdom was sought by those far and wide, for it tells us in verse 34, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. People from all nations. We will get to the Queen of Bathsheba coming to hear of the wisdom of Solomon. But when it says that they came from all nations, that means that they came at a distance. They came at an expense. The great effort had to be put forth in order to come and sit under the instruction and teaching of Solomon. But it was viewed to be worth it. The expense, the time, the effort, the travel. It was viewed to be worth it. Solomon's wisdom was also sought by those in high places. It tells us at the end of the verse 34, and from all kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Even kings understood the value of Solomon's wisdom for their own kingship, for their own rule, for their own dominion. They realized they had something to learn from Solomon. And they were not ashamed to seek the wisdom of Solomon. for They knew that they would profit from it. In like manner, the wisdom of the scriptures ought to be sought by all, far and near. The scriptures can help us in all facets of life, I already alluded to 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed by God, is profit for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God would be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Meaning that it is necessary in a variety of fields and applications. Therefore, the scriptures are needed by each and every one of us. Not just by the religious professionals, is it just for those that are academicians? It's not just for preachers. It's not even just for Sunday school teachers or individuals that lead Bible studies. It isn't just for the teacher at whatever level that that instruction may take place. But it's for all peoples. All peoples. Everyone needs to understand what the scriptures teach. And there is application in no matter what field, what occupation, what endeavor you are engaged in, the Word of God speaks to your needs and speaks to the issues that you are going to confront. God's Word is given to make us wise. Although some people deem themselves to be wise, and reject the Bible's authority. The reality to reject the Bible's wisdom is not wisdom at all. For Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 9 reads, The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken because they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? So what wisdom is in them? If you're going to reject the Word of God, 
How wise is that? How wise is that? The wisdom of the scripture is unique and is not to be found anywhere else. Nothing can replace the scriptures. Psalm 119.99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. It's assuming, of course, that those teachers are not looking to the word of God, but are seeking wisdom elsewhere or just relying upon themselves for their own wisdom. We must keep in mind that there are many very brilliant people in the world today. People who are extremely knowledgeable, who are experts in their field, and they have a lot to contribute. And we are enriched by medical advances, by the things that are seen in our society. But no matter how brilliant, no matter how capable, no matter how influential, and even no matter how successful individuals are, if they reject the wisdom of God, they're missing the boat. They're missing the boat. We need to humble ourselves to seek God's wisdom. Conclusion, two weeks ago, I encouraged us to pray for wisdom. God promises to grant it. This morning, in addition to praying for wisdom, I encourage us to seek the wisdom that is uniquely found in God's word. Avail yourselves of it. See the value in it. Take the time, the effort that is necessary to seek it out. Meditate upon God's word. Memorize God's word. And again, pray. Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your law. May God teach us his word. May we understand its relevance. Let me just say, we don't make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. We just recognize it. Thank God for the scriptures. And thank God for the wise people that he puts into our lives. Solomon was a blessing for the nation. To have wise parents, what a blessing to children. To have wise teachers, what a blessing to the students. To have wise leaders, what a blessing to the nation, to the church, to the people of God. May we prize wisdom and seek it from God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the source of wisdom. And Lord, we acknowledge the need of wisdom in our lives. Help us not to lean unto our own understanding, but in our ways acknowledge you. And we are thankful that you will lead our paths. 
Lord, help us in our study of the scriptures. Open our eyes that we would be a people of wisdom, that we would not have deaf ears and cold hearts, but we would be people that would be humble and willing to be instructed. Lord, help us to be rebuked when needed rebuke. Help us to grow in areas of where we need to have change in our life. Lord, this passage teaches us that wisdom is valuable in every area of life. So, Lord, prosper us, not just in a financial sense, but, Lord, may our way be successful and that we accomplish your purpose, your will, that the gospel goes forth in greater power, that the people of God, your kingdom increases, and most significantly, that your name is honored and glorified. Lord, keep us from saying that which is foolish, that which will detract, that which will demean the glory of our all-wise and all-knowing God. Lord, give us humility and allow you to speak. And may we speak what you say. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.